0: Welcome to EdPod, Connecting Educational Research and Classroom Teaching with Doctors Eric Clarival and Darren Vitalia. Episode eight. Attention. English Learner Intervention. Hello, Eric. How are you tonight?
1: Good, Darren. It's been a long time. It's and been a I'm, while. I'm glad that we're going to this topic is very close to my heart because I was once an English language learner. So, so I'm glad that we picked this topic and the landscape of of American class has changed since 20, 30 years ago and more and more students of of different backgrounds, different ethnicity and, you know, diverse kids coming into our classroom with with different needs and this particular group that we're going to talk about tonight is is very important because teachers are not fully prepared to address the needs of english language learners so so you know right now i'm having a hard time using the word english language learners because to me when you say english language learner it's you're elevating one language and then you're denigrating or not denigrating, but you're putting the other language as inferior to English. So that's that's kind of like my my source of discomfort right now. I would rather call these students bilingual learners. That means, you know, we're equ- equating both language on one one realm rather than one is better than the other. But I guess for tonight's discussion, you know, I'm fine using English language learner, but I just wanted to put out there right in front of you that, that I'm, um, you know, I, I wish that we can, we can change that language rather than using ELL. Let's just use bilingual learners.
0: I think there's, you know, the, the terms change so much over the years. There's always so much discussion about what's the the right term, what's the proper term, what what term uh, both it does justice to the knowledge and the skills that the, the learner brings to the classroom and what they are still engaging in and learning in. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, when I grew up, and was in school, we used to say English as a second language. It's still a term that's used in many parts of this country. Uh, yeah. It doesn't, a lot of people feel that it doesn't represent many students who might be learning English as their third or fourth language.
1: Absolutely, and, and to me, when you say English language learners, it doesn't really capture the entire spectrum of students learning English, because monolinguals are English language learners as well, especially when they learn the academic language in the classroom.
0: Yeah, and as I think we can, we'll mention probably later on is there's this problem, there's this uh, sort of a tension when it comes to students who are what we call long-term English learners as well. Mm-hmm. as to whether we should describe them as English learners or not. Mm-hmm. But that might be getting ahead of ourselves.
1: All right, let's, let's, let's talk about the two articles that, that we picked tonight.
0: And the first article is called English Language Learners and Reading Instruction, A Review of the Literature. It's by Elizabeth Snyder, Sarah Whitmer, and Heather Schmidt. And it appeared in a journal called Preventing School Failure, Alternative Education for Children and Youth. It's from
1: 2017. So the second article that we're going to talk about is actually a white paper written by Michael Kiefer from New York University and Carolyn Parker from Educational Development Center. The title of their paper is The Graduation Outcomes of Students Who Entered New York City Public Schools in Grade 5 or 6 as English Learner Students. Okay, so let's let's talk about the first article written by Snyder. Whitmer, and Schmidt. The main purpose of this uh, literature review is to look into the different reading interventions for English language learners using reading components such as phonemic awareness, phonics, vocabulary, and reading comprehension. And the main question that they post was that What are the characteristics of interventions that result in large effects for the five basic reading components of English language learners? So again, this is a review of literature, and we were talking about this earlier. There's a big difference between meta-analysis and um, literature review. The meta-analysis is a quantitative way of analyzing existing literature. And in this current artic- article that we're using, it's it was just plain descriptive. Although the mention about effect size, and as, as you pointed out earlier, they didn't even talk more about the effect size, and probably because their purpose is really to provide us a description of of what these interventions that they reviewed.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. They said, you know, they were looking for. Interventions that had large, uh, uh, large effect sizes on the different basic building mm-hmm. blocks of reading. And then, you know, as you, you, you I, I know you can talk in a couple minutes about what those were, but then they weren't specifically named in the review themselves, what those effect sizes are. I, I just kept, like, kept waiting for this specific reading intervention had the largest effect size in phonemic awareness. I, I think I that's understand. one
1: of the limitations of, of this article. And I, I, you know, just like you, I was having a hard time reading it because I was looking for, you know, tell me more, tell me more, give me, give me some juices about what you've seen or what you've uh, gathered based on your literature review. So they just gave us the characteristics of, of each of each component. So they, you know, as as any literature review or synthesis study, they scoured you know a lot of literature and then and then they use different criteria for selecting their their articles and they it all boils down to 10 research and a lot of the these are 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 experimental there's only one article here that used a multiple single case design which is widely used in special education research. So to me, there's really nothing new about this study. But one thing that 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 they amplified in this article is that there is a dearth of study that focuses on adolescent literacy. And they only talk about one article that uses sixth grade kids. But then again, you know, when we think about the profile and the specific language needs of students in 7th, 8th, and high school uh, students. It, it, that, ch- that changes the entire landscape of, of what intervention is about when we talk about English language learners. And as you mentioned earlier, when you think about intervention, you think about, you know, reading comprehension, right? I think about all those programs that, because when we
0: talk about, in in my experience, when we start talking about reading intervention, we start talking about programs that begin Mm -hmm. to happen generally at upper elementary Mm -hmm. and middle school. Those are our prime years for reading intervention because we get past that fourth grade level and we say, oh my gosh, these kids are really struggling with their content. I guess we need to think about what some of those reasons are and find out that they need help in reading. So... There's been a push, you know, in the past ten years to provide certain kids with reading intervention programs, an extra hour of reading. And I know there have been studies to see the effectiveness of some of these. I, my only, I only imagine that they didn't meet the inclusion criteria for this particular article. Yeah,
1: you know, when we think about the epistemology of intervention, it always started in early reading intervention, you know, in the early '90s or even in. The late 80s there was this huge uh, endeavor in educate in the field of education to study phonemic awareness and phonological processing and and how students learn the foundational tools for reading and much of the research and and funding had been channeled through that research and and then you know 15 years ago, uh, Moji, uh, she, she, she's from the University of Michigan. And, and I think she's one of the those researchers who highlighted the importance of adolescent literacy. And, you know, think about middle grade, intermediate literacy. And a lot of research, uh, a lot of studies have showed that 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 we we neglected the, the that part of 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 that group of students because the focus was more on early reading intervention and and now now that you know that we recognize the need and and so this article highlighted the fact that there is a need for us teachers and researchers to focus on middle school and 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 high school because A lot of students in high school, especially students who are part of this subgroup, the the learning English language learners, they're still having difficulty comprehending complex texts.
0: Right, especially if they're in that category of English language learners in high school. Still, if they've started as a language learner in kindergarten, they're still in that category almost by definition they are having some difficulties with
1: some sorts of complex text.
0: We, we, we put them there. we left them there by some sort of. That's
1: right. And, and they, they highlighted it here in this article, you know, I'm going to quote that, that first sentence in that section where it says there is a lack of substantial research that has identified large effect size for interventions with middle school and high school students. One of my, biggest concern is that that intervention length and to them apparently see, there there was no direct association with overall effect size for reading outcomes and and to me that is it's a little bit questionable because when we think about reading comprehension it's 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 developmental and and it and it takes longer time to develop and, and to me, the longer the intervention is that, you know, that, that focuses on, on reading comprehension, I think the better the student is equipped with, you know, with all the tools that, that he or she needs to, to navigate the complex text that he's reading in middle school and high school. So what do you think about that?
0: So I'm going to say from mm-hmm. a policy point of view or from even a teacher point of view, you know, at, at a school we need to put, we always need to put classes in into boxes. We need to put them in in, a, in the summer school box or into the one period a day semester box or the two uh-huh. hours a day box. And it has somehow our, our interventions have to fit in these boxes. And if we put them in, in a certain box, then we have to take something else out of that box. So if I have a student who needs a reading intervention, uh, in their six period box that means that the, the uh-huh. choir box you know needs to come out and if it needs to last the entire year um, as a reading intervention and I have some evidence that a year long 50 minute a day reading intervention is going to be the provide the best outcome in increasing reading comprehension two full years uh, within one academic year then I can say you know this is valuable but if I don't have that evidence, if there's no evidence in the literature to prove that, or if the evidence says, all I need is a uh, you know 10 week intervention, and that's when you give as much uh, push or achievement as a 40 week intervention, then I'd rather do that because I'd rather provide that student with all the other opportunities that every other student will have.
1: Right, and, and I think that's, that's one of the, gaps that we have in research is that we need to have more longitudinal study so that we can fully assess the 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 efficacy of, of an intervention. But you know you got a point there, um, especially if if we're talking about this intervention outside the general education classes so the goal is for these students to go back to to where they're, here is are learning english right and so so what, you don't yeah. really need an entire year for them to catch up
0: what happen, what i see happen sometimes is that some students are in this continual intervention you know mm-hmm. for two years it's, you know what, what are you doing you know for that one period of the day well i have intervention well you know haven't you been intervened enough that you can be out i mean what's the purpose of intervention is that eventually you've made it and now you are caught up to speed and then you can go mm-hmm. on your merry way but it seems like you know our interventions are not always successful which leads to students being continually in this cycle of interventions and, and we're taking away access to a lot of the other things that um, might make them more interested in school mm-hmm. and engaged and, in and the...
1: sometimes that leads to being tracked and, and they just stayed in in the English language learner classes or interventions forever.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, and you you hear students say these things. I mean, you hear students start to have ideas about, mm-hmm. well, why am I in this class? Is it because I'm dumb? Or is this class, you know, I hear students mm-hmm. say things like, oh, this is for the Mexican kids, isn't it? And it's like, no, no, this is not. this. And so we have to start really thinking about, uh, you know, these ideas of, what are we doing as educators to make sure that we are being just in the way that we um, design interventions? And are we not having our own sort of racialized idea of, of, of language as well? It, it's very hard because we are, you know, on, on one hand, we have all these, this is a po- on one hand, there's a, some policy issues involved. And we also have educational issues involved. So with that, why don't we move on to the second article, which is the white paper on graduation rates. And it's on a cohort of students who entered New York City schools in fifth or sixth grade in 2000, the 2003-04 school year. And they followed them through 2012 and 2013. So they followed them through what should have been their graduation from high school to understand um, their graduation, graduation rates, whether they graduated as English learners. If they were still English learners, they would have been long-term English learners. If they had already been reclassified, meaning that they had passed the state uh, proficiency requirements, then they would have been short-term English learners. And they had, I believe there were three research questions that they were looking at. Um, The questions were to find out the percentage of students who uh, entered grades five and six and graduated on time. Uh, from New York City schools they also wanted to know the uh, how many students graduated within five or six years meaning a year or two late and then uh, the number of students who graduated uh, you know basically total and they looked at those three different options for diplomas the local New York City local diploma the regents and then the advanced regents diploma one of the things that I found interesting here is they don't distinguish between the two types of students who are entering as English learners. So for example, a student comes into New York City schools in fifth grade and they come from Guatemala and they are classified as an English learner and they go to school and they, by the same token, a student may come from Florida uh, where their native language, their home language was Spanish and they begin school in New York classified as an English learner as well so what they found is that you know as is not surprising the students who were long-term English learners meaning the students who at the time of graduation were still English language learners graduated at a much lower rate I believe it was 64 percent uh versus uh seventy. no 70 is it
1: 77 79 around that
0: the, you know, English, the long-term English learners graduated as, at, at a lower rate than students uh, across the um, high school uh, and New York City high schools mm-hmm. as a whole. Short-term English learners, I believe, graduated at a slightly higher rate than students in New York City. Although when you average in all um, ever English learner students, then the averages tend to be lower than all New York City public school students. No, I was just gonna say, I mean, the interesting takeaway here is, and that was really the point of this article is, you know, normally when we look at English learner graduation rates, we're only looking at those graduation rates of students who are English learners when they graduate in 12th grade Uh or when they enter ninth grade, that ninth grade cohort. So what this says is this just kind of backs up a few years and say, let's take a look at English learners in fifth grade and sixth grade and see where they are a few years later. So it, it mm-hmm. increases that cohort of English language learners to, see, to try to see, mm-hmm. is there a difference if we include more students in that cohort of uh, graduating but, seniors?
1: You know, 65 to me is 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 a big number. Although, you know, at least it's more than half of the How English so. language learners. Um, although, you know, at least, you know, if you wanted to, if this is a baseline data, I think, um, 65 is a good number to start with and then we can move on you know for the next cohort the target should be at least 75 or 80 I, I mean I, if you're thinking mm-hmm. about
0: you know again in terms of policy and to get data and you know where to start and how to set targets then I, I suppose you need to you need to know where you are it's an extremely low number overall I mean to think that 6, 7, and 10 kids Make it to graduation. I, I know, I think here in Oregon, it's, you um, know, of course, it's measured differently. Mm-hmm. They don't have, we don't have the same measurement, but I want to say it's around 55% of students who are English learners graduate from high school. Oregon has one of the lowest high school graduation rates across the country to begin with. Only about uh-huh. 70% of high school students, just over 70%, graduate to begin with. So English learners are considerably lower than that.
1: I, I have no data to back up um, in terms of what is the graduation rate for California English language learners.
0: Well, I I think, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think, you know, it wouldn't, you know, these, these are kinds of articles that we read. We read data all the time about, you know, achievement as English language learners and in state testing, graduation rates, and we see that it's extremely low and it's not surprising when we create this category of students that are, by our definition, students who aren't, aren't meeting certain a certain academic bar, and some of them within that category are doing very well, but because we were, were, we're sort of setting the standard as this group of students here doesn't meet this bar, when we have other measures that would co- seem to correlate, right? it's not surprising. So, I mean, there is a correlation between the English language, English language development scores and mm-hmm. math SBAC scores. It's, you know, there's those, they're very math, in- right. they're very reading intensive, the math scores.
1: Yeah. You know, I was thinking, what is the takeaway from this, of these articles in terms of the implication of it to, um, to the practice? If I, if I am a, uh, an ELD teacher. What benefit can I get from from these two articles that we just discussed? One thing for sure, you know, go back to to the first article is that um, that we still need more research for middle school and high school to fully understand their needs and what are some of the challenges. I think the, when we, we, we figure out the overall needs and challenges of these t- students, although we we're slowly getting into it, uh, but I think we still need more to establish that consensus. And I think one area that, that needs to fully develop and tease out and, and you know, to, to fully underst- understand the nature of, of learning and teaching in middle school and high school is, you know, within the realm of disciplinary literacy, be it in math, in social studies, in science, or in literature.
0: I think that, you know, the issue of graduation rates is to me something very complicated, but uh, uh, trying to understand a group of students who aren't graduating, any, any information we can sort of get to, to, to understand this group a little bit better is helpful for classroom teachers um, to to know that the students who we have in our class, if we just see in our student information system that they're an English learner, doesn't always tell us the complete story. As a classroom teacher, if we can begin to really understand Mm -hmm. those stories more about our students, we can better serve them in the classroom and also advocate for them outside the classroom. As a
1: classroom teacher, we also need to understand that you know that these long-term English learners why are why are still why are why are they still um in, in in that category is it because of of not enough intervention or is it because there is intrinsic issues that that have not been addressed in Kiefer and Parker's article mentioned that towards the end of their article when they talk about um, the high likelihood of, of students who were identified as having disability being part of that long-term English language learners. And then there's also a high number of students with disabilities who, who receive the local diplomas in New York City, which is, you know, the, lower, the lowest tier of, of that diploma category.
0: So, in the next, one of the next articles we're going to read for an upcoming episode delves more into that long term English learner or LTEL category. And it goes into some depth about how the category is more about educational policy than about some academic reality. It speaks to how these are students who have yet to meet a government requirement or this sort of bureaucratic requirement. Um, and it doesn't. Uh, necessarily represent um, everything that they know or can do in a classroom.
1: Well that's a good article because because policy affects the academic landscape and that academic landscape affects the way we teach and affects the way students learn in the classroom. So I'm looking forward to that next episode. So am I till then.
0: You can find out more about the show and us at edpod.tv. There you can send us a message. Read show notes and give us suggestions. If you like what you hear, rate us on iTunes. We're on Twitter at RealEdPod. Join our Zotero group for complete citations of all articles mentioned on the show. Our theme music is Time by Drake Stafford. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time.